Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, They've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello i'm matt Shirley, and this is politics without the boring bits Somebody else has been in touch, Fosterman53. Great, but lose the pick, he says. That's his review of the podcast. I've been a regular listener, enjoyed the podcast for about the last year, but honestly have dropped off a bit since you put your mugshot on the cover. Freaks me out a bit. Can you consider changing it, please? Well, I can't change my face. And why are you looking at it while you're listening to the podcast? Surely you just set it playing and then go off and do some other things. Anyway, for now at least, my face is staying as it is. But uh, thank you for listening to Politics About the Boy Bits. Do tell your friends in all the usual ways. Coming up on today's episode, it's a cracker. It's the latest Times Radio focus group. Every month, we ask James Johnson, former number 10 pollster for Theresa May, to sit down with some real voters to get their take on the political scene. Today, it's people who voted Conservative in 2019, now saying they'll vote Labour. But their verdict on Rishi Sunak is brutal. It's not much better for Keir Starmer. They quite like this guy called Nigel Farage. It's a hell of a listen. It'll be brutal listening, actually, whether you're inside Tory HQ or actually advising Keir Starmer. So it's a hell of a listen coming up in just a moment. Before that, Manveen Rana and Matthew Paris on the Tory MPs scrabbling for the exit door and some lucrative jobs after and office etiquette in 2024. All that coming up on the podcast. And don't forget, if you like what you hear here, you can join me for Politics Without the Boring Bits on Times Radio. You can listen for free on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. That's Politics Without the Boring Bits on Times Radio, weekdays from 10. Welcome to day 294 of politicians rewriting history on the post office scandal. After Ed Davey being the single most powerful politician in the country, despite being only a very junior minister in a government with a Conservative Prime Minister who just happens to be back in the Cabinet. Well, today we get this from the Energy Secretary, Claire Coutinho, on Sky News. Why did it take a, a, an ITV drama to propel the government into action? Well, I don't think that's the case at all. No, total coincidence. Total coincidence. The world was planning to do it this week. Total, it's a total coincidence. Whenever we, uh, we, never mind rewriting history, the common speaker Lindsay Hoyle's getting ahead of himself into the future. 
as he called Keir Starmer to speak. A very important topic, and I take it seriously. I hope members also wish to start taking it seriously. Prime Minister. Uh, 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 Mr Speaker. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Prime Minister. Yeah, not... No, not quite. I mean, it has to be said, all parties, right across the board, it really is. New Year, new nonsense. And there's a, there's a massive row now, because like, uh, our social media colleagues put the video of uh, Tim Shipman and I was re- responding to New Year, new nonsense. We both basically fell about laughing because it was so bad. Uh, there's an argument now going on on Twitter about basically how big... Uh, mine and Tim's faces are. But also, were we laughing because we thought it was good, uh, in which case we're a bunch of lefties, or were we laughing because we thought it was bad, in which case we're a bunch of toys? So, join the conversation wherever you get your podcast. Manveen Rana and someone called Matthew. And we are joined in the studio by Manvin Viner, host of the Stories Our Times podcast. And uh, this week, someone called Matthew is, of course, Matthew Paris. Now, we have to start uh, with the initial housekeeping. Uh, Manvin, <laughs> what deliciousness have you mm. brought us in this week? I baked. I baked a cake. This is... Did you do it this morning? It's, st- is it's, it, it's still warm. It's still a bit warm. <laughs> it's still a bit warm. I baked it this morning. Matt, it's amazing. It's it is so As I get stuck in really unprofessionally eating so, a massive bit of cake so on the way lovely. Up. What is it? But it's 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 a, a raspberry and amaretti. Oh, really God. It, it's moist. It's moist. <laughs> moist, moist. <It's> warm. Mm. <laughs> it's got a good hard crunch on the outside. But then... We've just morphed into a whole other show. <laughs> I'm going to say a much better one. <laughs> It is so good. Oh, you're so kind. Who, whose recipe is this, or is it your own? Is uh, it it's, one it's, down? it's one I've sort of played with for a few is years. It? Oh, basically. It is it? I've only learned. I only learned to bake in the pandemic. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Turns out the pandemic was worth it. Oh, mm. oh. for the baking alone. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Mm. Oh, you're so lovely. Oh. That's just, made my day. Can we just put a adverts on and I'll just sit and eat a cake? <laughs> yeah, we could just sit and munch for mm. twenty minutes. Well. Happily. You can do all the heavy lifting on this one, um, uh, Manby. Um, there's a really interesting piece uh, today, James Hill's written in The Spectator, about, he calls it the Tory Hunger Games, the sort of desperate scramble by uh, MPs, particularly former ministers, to sort of get out and land uh, some well-paid jobs, particularly green ones. That seems to be the big thing. Not least, the former net zero czar, Chris Skidmore, Quit as an MP on Friday, ahead of a vote uh, this week. Although, actually, amusingly, the vote then didn't happen because Commons business ran out of time. Um, they were supposed to be voting on oil and gas licences. Uh, many of his former colleagues in the Conservative Party were absolutely furious about it, uh, calling him to front the cost of the by-election in the seat of Kingswood. He said uh, he won't uh, even support the Tories. Here he is uh, talking on ITV's uh, Peston. I think that it doesn't, it's not about personalities. And one of the reasons why I'm you know, looking forward to moving away from politics is it's so ephemeral doesn't really matter who wins the next general election. It doesn't really matter what's going to happen in the Kingswood by-election. What matters is whoever is in power commits to decarbonising and taking the climate action that's needed for 2030 and for 2050 now because we're running out of time. With- As I said in my resignation statement, I'm now independent. We'll work with all political parties. Whoever is going to prioritise okay. what is the issue Let of me- our generation. Um, Matthew, I couldn't help thinking, yeah, he sort of contradicted himself. You can't say it doesn't matter who wins the next election. It matters if they commit to this, this, and it. No, that case, it does matter who it does, wins. Yeah, politics yeah. in that case does matter. Oh, he's tying himself into a bit of a knot. I uh, resigned mm. uh, in 1986 <clears throat> to cause a by and caused a by election. Frankly, because London Weekend Television had offered me a better job, 
I wasn't really getting anywhere in politics and um, <laughs> I, I doubled my salary and I was going to be a, a TV star. As we now know, that was not to be. But uh, <laughs> So uh, far be it from me to criticise Chris Skidmore, but maybe just say this, that once you've decided you want to do something, you you justify to yourself your own motives for doing it. So I do not think that Chris Skidmore is thinking, heh, 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 you know, I, I'm just doing this because I want to get ahead of the others and, 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 and land a nice cushy job before losing a constituency that anyway is is, uh, is, is disappearing at the yeah. next election. He's not thinking, heh, 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 this is my plan. He's finding reasons within himself why it's a matter of principle. But you, you, you have to ask what the incentive to find those reasons is. That's what's so odd about it, Manveen, is that um, loads of MPs, dozens, I mean, 50, 60, mm. 70 of them have said they're going to stand out at the next election for all sorts of different reasons. They've been there for a long time. They possibly can't be bothered fighting thinking they might lose their seats. But his seat literally disappears. I don't understand why he didn't just ride out until October, November. And said he's made all this well, fuss, and actually now it all seems to be backfiring on him. Everyone now thinks he's looking like a molly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is slightly backfiring. I mean, I, I uh, the the tiny bit of me that is still an optimist would like to think the reason he's done that. You know, he could have done. Um, we've seen Nadine Doris, for example, hang on to a job when she clearly wasn't performing it. You know, he mm. could have done that, and with his other jobs on the side, uh, he chose not to. He seems to have done it on a point of principle. And I know there's this sort of backlash about who should foot the bill of a by-election, but you know, I mean, there was that moment a few years back when David Davis, um, you know, called a by-election in his own constituency when he was standing again, but again on a point of principle. And I sort of think we've got to be able to do that from time to time. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think most people mind footing the bill to, what, for, for democracy. But what, <laughs> is, what is the principle that he's resigned Well, on? he seems to be saying, um, you know, if the Tories took the Uxbridge by-election as a sign that people didn't care about green policies, mm. then this is the moment. I mean, I don't think he's right. I don't think anyone voting in that in this particular by-election mm. is going to be voting just on, on climate. But I think he is probably right that I think they've misjudged the mood. Um, and, you know, he's, he, he came up with a phrase, can I, I became a conservative to conserve, which I sort of thought wouldn't have been bad for, for the Tories in, in the actual election if, they, if they'd chosen to take it. But, you know, they, they've gone, they've taken the Uxbridge by-election, which they won by a few hundred votes, as licence to start tearing up mm. green policy. And I think that's what he, the point he's making. The, the immediate issue that, that he's resigning about is about the licensing, granting of new licences to drill for oil and gas in the... North Sea, and uh, and actually there are very good arguments on both sides uh, with that one. It doesn't seem to me quite the sort of uh, critical tipping point sort of issue that one would normally resign on. Although if he's taken these side jobs which are about decarbonisation, I guess it's very hard to do them while you're part of a government which is doing the opposite. Then resign the whip and sit as an independent, maybe. Well, I think he he thought as a point of principle you shouldn't do that, you should give the electorate a chance to re-vote, which is fair enough. Because the we had someone from a, um, sort of, I think it was like an energy think tank on earlier this week, who said that actually this law is just virtue signalling. There are already basically annual rounds of new gas and oil. It's just mandating annual rounds. It's, it's, it's already happening. It's, a, it's the old Gordon Brown writing into law something that happens already. Yeah. Um, uh, and so it won't actually make any meaningful difference to the amount of gas and oil that is extracted. But I guess it's virtue signalling in, in terms of... Or vice signalling. Vice signalling, because it's about your, your sort of direction of travel. Mm. Um, and I think I guess it's that which would be alarming. Somebody who's I wish we'd all it. just stop signalling. I know. <laughs> do something. Just do. Yeah. Just unless do. you're unless you're turning right in a car. Yes. It's the only time <laughs> that signalling is necessary. Maybe left. 
you know, maybe turning left, but definitely if you're turning right. Um, in a car. And what about on the bigger question then of green? Because he's tr- clearly trying to put, you know, green policies in front and centre. Labour have got this big £28 billion green pledge. Did They've sort of watered down a bit. But then at the weekend, Keir Starmer said, if the Tories want to have a fight about this, I'm up for the fight. And he seems to now be leaning into it a bit more and saying that this might be the point of difference going to the election. Do you think it will, ultimately when we come to the election it will be that big a deal, Matthew? Well, I think it is a very big deal um, for both parties, for the nation and for the future of mankind. But whether it's actually going to be something that uh, persuades many voters on, on the doorstep, I, I very much doubt I, I sort of feel like Labour's just taken on the phrase, we're up for the fight, and they're applying it to absolutely everything mm. right now. You just say, just bring it on. Bring it on. Yeah. I keep hearing it, um, and it sort of means less every time they use it. But I, I, I do think people care about environmental policies more than we we give them credit for, but I don't think it's the top reason people mm-hmm. vote. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? If you were going to offer me some more of that lovely cake, I would definitely say, bring it on. <laughs> um, uh, oh, my, <laughs> I was about to ask Matthew a question. There. You, you, no, you haven't got a mouthful. No, no, no I've... I've, I've uh, the, the, let's talk about the, the, the post office. You, you've written this week about the fact that you hadn't written previously about the post office scandal. And I think all journalists, uh, well, according to some people, all journalists are single-handedly responsible for this uh, crisis uh, and, and, and scandal. But you're, you're just, you've just been reflecting on the fact that it isn't something that crossed your yeah, we- well, weekly I've, musings. I've, um, I've written 6,000 columns. Uh, since I started writing wow. uh, for, for the Times, and um, I, I've, I can do a sort of word search through them, and I can't find that I ever mentioned the post office uh, sub postmaster's mistress's um, scandal, and I certainly noticed it, and I remember thinking oh, this doesn't look right at all, and then thinking, oh, but it's the post office seemed to be very sure, and oh, it's all about IT, and I, 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 I am I qualified to? to, to uh, appraise the Horizon programme, and I ducked. And uh, I wish I hadn't now. And I think all, all of us columnists who say, why didn't this minister do something? Why didn't that minister do something? Why didn't anybody say anything? We do need to ask ourselves why we didn't either. Some of us, some, some did. Yeah. Pri- Private Eye did. Uh, Computer Weekly did. What have, you, what have you have you had a similar self reflection, Matt? Yeah, I have yeah. actually. Um, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I think it's you know it's partly because the moment you say post office, it's just very unsexy. You know, you sidle up to an editor and say, "I've got this great story; it's on the post office," and mm. immediately their eyes glaze over. Um, but I remember when I first became aware of the scandal. I mean, I, I I do investigations. I was I was looking for sort of you know would this be a good investigation? I thought there's so much here; it's an amazing story. But it looked like a lot of it had been done already. <clears throat> And I think there's there's something in sort of journalistic grammar where the moment an inquiry is called, you pause a lot of your digging because you're like, oh, well, it's already being looked after. And there's often sort of, you know, you'll have like a flurry of headlines and a huge build-up. And then the moment the government call an inquiry, it kicks everything into the long grass. It doesn't solve anything, but everyone stops looking. And it feels like that's what happened here uh, a bit too, because, you know, there was this ongoing inquiry. It didn't get any answers for the people mm. who were suffering who already had for 20 years. But it just sort of stops the urgency of chasing it for journalists because you think there's an inquiry going on, I can't undermine and, it. I also feel like people are saying, oh, why is it taking an IT, you know, an ITV drama to, to bring about this? Well, it's because a drama can pull together 20 years yeah. in a way that yeah. a page lead or a column is quite hard to... Yeah. Um, and, and I do think the big, you know, although clearly it's unfolded over a long time, the ability to say the post office uh, lied 
uh, only become something that you can repeat in the papers easily mm. after they've had their convictions quashed. Because up until that point, for legal purposes, they um, they had been convicted and some of them had pleaded uh, guilty. I also thought, I don't know if you saw Danny Finkelstein's column this week, we'll, we'll park his question of whether or not uh, a, a David should resign. Or maybe, maybe you do want to talk about that. But he said the problem uh, with the post office scandal is because it, it didn't take off because it didn't vindicate anyone's point of view or support anyone's prejudices. He said, imagine the scandal was all the fault of Boris Johnson or all the fault of Jeremy Corbyn. Opponents of one or the other would never shut up about it. Uh, if it had been all the fo- fault of Brexit or the post office being woke, if it had been the fault of privatisation or the big state, vaccination or capitalism, if it had been all the fault of one party or the BBC or the mainstream media or MPs' expenses uh, or uh, the empire or racism or Israel, we'd never heard the last of it. Instead, it was a, a bit everyone's fault. And- yeah, general apathy. Yeah. Do you think there was an element of racism in the general apathy? An awful lot of sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses are Asian. I I just wonder whether that... No-one's obviously going to admit that they thought, well, maybe there is some... I wonder whether it might be metropolitanism, because it's a very provincial story. Mm. It's pillars of communities that... uh, I wonder how many national newspaper editors, radio presenters know their sub-postmaster and go into mm. their local post office. Which, I mean, it's, sort of, yeah. it's a world which feels... I yeah. remember a similar thing. When I was at the West One News, writing a lot about the Rural Payments Agency. Actually, that was another scandal. It was a terrible IT system and farmers weren't getting money they were supposed to be getting. And there was tales of farmers who'd committed suicide and they'd gone bankrupt and lost everything and but, you know, it never took off nationally because nobody in a national newsroom knows any farmers who aren't getting yeah. there. Yeah. You know, it's, it feels provincial yeah. and distant and, well, it's interesting to farmers, not interesting to anyone else. And I just wonder whether there's a bit of that going on. Yeah, no, I think there probably is. I think you're right. I think it is much more sort of... Um, you know, post offices are such an important hub of the community. If you're outside London, if you're inside London, you probably don't even notice the people you're you're having to speak to. Um, so you're right. I think there was probably a bit of it doesn't apply to us. There was also, as Matthew sort of says, IT. People don't understand that. Mm. Post office itself, not very glamorous. Lots of reasons why it didn't take off. But, you know, ultimately... Uh, you know, Danny's right, there's also a preference for these stories that feed into one prejudice or yeah. another at the moment and which mm. side of the debate you're on. But, you know, ultimately, this is an everyman story. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. sort of, you know, an ordinary ordinary people who are working hard, finding the entire system collapsing around them. Um, you know, it's Kafkaesque. Uh, and I think that's what the drama does so well. It just sort of just reminds you that it could be any one of us yeah. who are doing all the right things. And especially if you are one of those provincial submasters, it's not only your money, your pension, your, you know, you're your having to find money you don't have to pay back debts. You're also losing your name yeah. in, a re- in, a com- in a community yeah. that is small, where you're trusted and suddenly... And widely known. And widely known and suddenly yeah. everyone's pointing fingers. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's horrific on a very human level. Yeah. And that's why I think the drama's been so effective. And it's all a sort of, you know, you watch it thinking, well, that could, that could happen to anyone. Yeah. You know, a, a, system, a, nat- a, a, a state system failure against you for whatever your interaction is, whether you pay your tax or your, you know, whatever. It's technology, um, which we rely on. It's yeah. the state. And there's something about big firms where you just assume that there are so many levels of management yeah, yeah. it must go through that, that that itself must be a filter. You know, surely big firms don't just turn around and collectively lie or hide things. Or... And, and, and as well as lamenting the fact that it took a television documentary oh. to, to get the nation really aroused on this, 
Perhaps we should celebrate the fact yeah. that yeah. Um, good television journalism can make a big difference. Can still do it. And actually, I know things. some people in the in the industry be making this point that yes. actually. Because I think I heard was the producer or the director was saying how how they'd really struggle to get it made. I bet, yes. And they had to like plead with the actors to basically not be paid very much to do it yeah. because you yeah. know ITV probably correctly guessed they're not going to sell this around the world like Broadchurch or yeah. or something like that. So um, yeah, it's another. Hopefully they'll you know I imagine we'll be now be an absolute slew of every possible uh, government IT failure now becoming a TV drama. <laughs> Somebody tries to win a BAFTA. Now, I want to ask you about your, your office etiquette. Are you good colleagues? Do you abide by the new rules? Keep your office jokes and banter off your emails, is the advice of Dr. Emma Russell, speaking on the Instant Genius podcast. She's an organisational psychologist. Uh, clear, cl- uh, it just clutters up your inbox, reduces productivity, and you, you should put it in your WhatsApp groups instead. I'm not sure that necessarily um, improves productivity. Uh, Olivia Petter disagrees, writing the tar- in Times 2 today, that having virtual water cooler chat is safe. In your uh, emails, hi Olivia. Hello. Um, so expl- explain what we, where, what, we, what should we be doing in our emails, and what should we be doing in our WhatsApps? I mean, I think we should be really having very clear boundaries between professional and personal in terms of how we communicate. I think WhatsApp should very much be left to personal chats, group chats with friends, and then emails are your place to talk to colleagues. And then if you want to kind of have those little gossip sessions with your colleagues that you know this this woman's encouraging us to have on whatsapp i think do them in person do them the old-fashioned way and then they're they're not traceable they're not written down and uh, they're less distracting i think you know we already get so much anxiety from whatsapp in terms of our friendships and our personal life we don't need to add that to our work life and blur those boundaries even more and then risk saying something inappropriate to our colleagues or you know risk risk something that's you know misunderstood it just creates a whole load of more social anxiety that I don't think we need at work. Um, it, my my counter argument would be most of my work uh, discussions take place in in work WhatsApp groups. So we've got one for the show. There's one for the mm. Times <coughs> lobby team. There's you know, but but I'd say they are mostly more professional than uh, you know the other friend friend group ones. Um, isn't the problem with it with email just the the way it works? The, I email everyone and say we should do this on the show, and then somebody else has to reply, "Good idea," and then someone else has to reply later, "Oh, I've done this," and then you, you're enti- you, and then somebody else replies to an earlier one in the thread, and you just don't know where you are, and your inbox is cluttered up. Yeah, I think, look, I think there's a real difference between work WhatsApp groups that that I need to point out here. So I think, yes, a lot of people do have WhatsApp groups among colleagues that are strictly professional. But a lot of people, particularly in the sector I work in, and particularly people my age who I've spoken to, have WhatsApp groups with colleagues that are a bit more casual in nature. And they're kind of ostensibly for work, but also not really. And there's less clarity in it. Whereas I think in email, you've got more clarity, like you know that you're emailing from a work address to another work address. Whereas on WhatsApp, I think it's it's less clear sometimes. And that's where we get into slightly tricky territory, I think. What about you, Matthew? Are you full of banter on WhatsApp? Yes, I, 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 <laughs> anywhere where, where humour is allowed, yeah. I enjoy. And, yeah. and also WhatsApp is very useful professionally uh, for communicating uh, informally with people things that you don't want to see written down. Uh, you can use those WhatsApps that um, expire after oh, seven yeah. days or so. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bavi? Uh Yeah, I mean, we, we, we use it quite a bit. It tends to be mainly professional with just like the odd joke here and there. But I do think um, 
I think we tend to think of them as things that expire and are slightly ephemeral. But as the Tory WhatsApp groups <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have sort of shown, you know, people are constantly screenshotting them and they're turning up all over the press. And there is something about it as a format that allows people to, I mean, I assume from the, the, the leaks we get from the Tory yeah. WhatsApp group to just say things that are so, you know, are, are sort of slightly stupider than you would commit to an email. <laughs> and I suppose the point that you're, yeah. slightly the point that you're making, Olivia, is that, is that because when you're looking, scrolling through your WhatsApps, you have got your friends and your family ones and then the work ones appearing between just means that there's a degree of informality and you just need to think twice about who it is exactly, well, exactly. that you're broadcasting to. Exactly. And I think with any form of instant messaging, you know, you're encouraged to kind of be much more impulsive in your communication style. And that doesn't necessarily suit a professional environment. Yeah. So I think it does benefit to kind of take time away and be a bit slower and more considered in how you speak to your colleagues, because right, yeah, you can easily say something without thinking and regret it. Olivia, really good speech. Olivia Petter there. Her piece is in Times 2 today. Actually, I set up the press gallery WhatsApp group. It's got now 250 or 300 people in it. Uh, and then alongside, someone had to set up the lobby banter group because... <laughs> Separate we just, it out. Yeah, so there's information about what's happening today in politics, but, you know, if you want to do your jokes, go elsewhere. Manbury Rana, of course, you can catch on the Stories of Our Times podcast wherever you're listening to this and read Matthew Powis in The Times. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Up next is The Focus Group. of where they are politically, what they think about the, how the government is doing, and the political alternatives. So every month on Times Radio, since June 2020, we've been carrying out our own focus groups and bring them to you here on the show. They're always run by James Johnson, now from JL Partners, who used to be uh, the man who ran focus groups and polling in number 10. And James joins us now. Hi, James. Hi, Matt. Uh, good to have you with us. Just where, where are you in the world, James? 
I am in deepest Iowa in the snow. It's very early here, but my dedication to Times Radio means that I'm here, Matt. Well, we appreciate that. We appreciate that. Can we start with the uh, legal disclaimer? What is a focus group and what is it not? So uh, this is particularly important because uh, we've had a, a bit of a Twitter meltdown this morning, Matt, uh, in response to the focus group, um, which uh, I'm sure we'll soon see why. Um, look, focus groups are not intended to be representative. That's what polling is there for. So if you hear people today expressing opinions on someone, um, then that does not necessarily mean that that is the view of all uh, of the uh, group that the focus group is studying. Um, what it allows us to do is work out what kind of things and, and sort of attributes do people sort of, you know, like or what phrases do they use or what are the sort of, um, you know, the way that they're approaching uh, the next election. We always have to be careful about generalising that out to a group for the reasons I've said. That's what polling is there for. Um, <laughs> but it does allow us to see how someone or a party or whatever it might be might be able to shift the dial uh, with voters. Um, and that's absolutely key. We're not sitting here today saying, look, this is what an entire group thinks. We're saying this is important because under the surface, these are the things that could well change opinion and indeed give us a sense of perhaps how strong that double-digit Labour lead you mentioned really is. And uh, we should explain, they are always different to people. Uh, we don't have the same, as, as some people have been accusing me this morning on Twitter, uh, it's not the same eight people every month who've just got their views and we repeat them. Uh, so it's different people. But having done them every month, it is possible to see, you know, the same messages coming up. It's the same things that the uh, party will be getting up. Uh, just explain who, who are the people who are on the group this month, uh, their voting background and where they are. Yeah, absolutely. So when um, we're speaking to switchers this this uh, this month, um, that by that I mean people who voted Conservative in 2019 that gave Boris Johnson that that 80 seat majority, um, but they're now saying they vote Labour. So they've already switched um, from Conservative to Labour, um, and we spoke to them in three uh, constituencies uh, in the uh, so-called Red Wall: um, Wakefield, Burnley, um, and Wolverhampton Northeast. Right, let's dive in then. That's all the uh, the caveats out of the way. I'm sure people can still keep raging on uh, on Twitter as having discovered that uh, some members of the public don't agree with them. It's extraordinary. Um, we started the focus group. You always ask them to sort of warm them up to ask them what it is in the news uh, that they've uh, they've spotted. Uh, we don't always use it because it's normally just a way of just getting them, getting them going, and sometimes it could be a bit esoteric. But this this just shows the the power of when one story does get unusual levels of cut through. So this is this is what the group said it caught their eye in the news um it's around the post office scandal due to the television it's the post office scandal the post office scandal is dominating the news at the moment the the jeffrey epstein scandal post office scandal quite rightly is dominating and so it should be the post office scandal yes the post office scandal yes the post office scandal that's cut through for you. And they also knew that a former minister was being blamed for it. So, uh, James, you asked them this. Does anyone in the group know who that minister you guys mentioned was? Conservative? Labour? Lib Dem? Oh, it was Lib Dem. I think, I think it was Lib Dem. We're, we've been talking about it at lunch today. Uh, well, so we should make clear that was Tuesday night, maybe. The cut through on uh, on Ed Davies improved since then. Uh, but James, it's just a reminder that actually uh, big stories can... I mean, that, that's it. I can't remember a time when the entire group, because they could mention anything in the news, have almost, almost all named the same story. 
Yeah, especially for um, a domestic UK thing, sometimes you get a big sort of, you know, international disaster or, or for example, you know, the October 7th attacks in, in Israel um, where everybody's there. But this is the first time for quite a long time where we've had a uniform response on a on a UK political political development. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, look, it just gets at that sense of unfairness. And, uh, you know, for all of the uh, the talk about the mainstream media being dead, it was that TV documentary that, that did it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the... The ITV show has got people uh, engaged in this, got people very exasperated. Um, it's clearly, there's a big political advantage for Labour and the Conservatives in being able to um, plant this at Ed Davies' door. Um, they haven't been able to do so yet, but uh, perhaps the kernels of, of starting to do so there uh, in, in the group when they said, a Lib Dem. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's park Ed Dave for a moment. Let's turn our attention to uh, Richie Sunak. Remember, these are people who voted Conservative in 2019. They're now saying they're going to vote Labour. Uh, you asked them to sum up Richie Sunak in one word. Out of touch. I've got out of touch, but I also put rich as well. I put rich. He's not in touch with the common person. He never answers a question. I put rich as well. Untrustworthy. Loves himself. <laughs> out of touch, rich, and out of touch and rich. Uh, that's not great, James. No, it's it's not. And uh, look, Rishi Sunak's always had this problem uh, to an extent. Voters have known for a long time that he's uh, he, he's more rich than them, um, that he's got a very uh, wealthy background, wealthy family background. Um, but it, it didn't necessarily always used to matter. Now it really matters. Um, and voters see that as a problem. Um, they see that as an exa- as a reason that he can't work for them effectively. Um, and I think that's partly because, you know, they, they question his broader competence. That's made it matter more. Um, I think they've seen more of these snippets of clips and viral images, you know, the, the, the paying with the contactless card being the uh, being the obvious one where he couldn't quite work out how to do that. Um, and that's just a real barrier. So we saw Keir Starmer attacking him on that on that and PMQs. Um, we're past the point, I think, where voters sit back and go, oh, it doesn't matter what someone's background is. They seem to now think that that is a real problem about Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer's attack. Maybe it's being informed by the focus groups, um, but uh, it's certainly going to uh, have an impact if he carries on la- landing those blows. So it's pretty bad for Rishi Sunak. Uh, number 10's latest strategy is to get in front of as many real people as possible with his PM Connect events. So uh, let's find out how the group thought they came across when the, uh, you played them a clip and they saw him on TV. The way his mannerisms and way he acts and everything, I just think he must look at me every morning and say, God, you're gorgeous. I don't think I've ever seen him give a genuine straight answer. It's all well and good doing visits, but how about you just do real visits that aren't televised? You know, it they are. It is completely staged. So I don't really trust anything I see in the media regarding politics. It does seem to be an act. Yeah, he's false. He's he's so incredibly false. The guy just makes me cringe. He's cringeworthy. Um, I mean, trust was bad, but uh, at least she had the decency to resign after. Uh, just a, a short period of time. Uh, which isn't, um, again, I suppose that's all speaking to the problems with uh, the, the, the the image that Rishi Sinat uh, projects. So they don't trust him, um, but they're also alive to the fact that there's going to be a uh, a, a budget cut. They're, they're sort of cynical. I suppose that's the thing, is that the voters, we talk about them being manipulators or change of strategy there, and how's that going to go down with voters? Quite often they can see what they're up to, James. So this was, 
Uh, you would, they, they were talking about what they think is coming down the track. They know an election's on the way, and so they expect a budget giveaway. I'd, I'd say the next budget, there'll be things that you're like, oh, that's good, but then what about all the other budgets? And yeah. I think any promises now, sort of this year, whatever he comes out and says, you know it's a sweetener. Why would you trust them, though? Because they, they give you a budget, they tell you things, and then they change it after they've promised it. That's really interesting, isn't it, James? The, the, there's lots of talk in Westminster about when will Rishi Sunak announce his game-changing tax cuts. These are normal people going down about their business. They already know. It's priced in. Uh, of course they're going to do that. Can we believe them? You know, the, the, even if they did do that, it's not actually definite that there'll be any electoral advantage for the Tories. I think, I think that's right. Uh, these voters have extremely low trust in politician, uh, politicians. Um, the latest uh, Ipsos Mori uh, tracker on trust showed it was at its lowest ever, um, about half the level that we sort of trust that we saw in the expenses scandal uh, nearly 15 years ago now. Um, so this is a uh, this is this is a real uh, this is a real problem for Rishi Sunak because um, I think there is a there's there's a school of conservative thought in in the in the Conservative Party um, that that sort of thinks tax cuts is there is going to be their savior, um, but uh, potentially a, maybe a big ticket change to tax, for example, inheritance tax or. Or, or stamp duty or something like that may, may shift the dial. But if they think that income tax, national insurance, income tax thresholds, even if they're big changes, are going to um, change things for, for their electoral fortunes, they're, they're mistaken. Voters can see right through it. Um, and uh, it's not, also not necessarily what they're, what they're looking for. Um, on the election visits there, um, there's, a, there's another problem for Rishi Sunak in that he's not uh, uh, seen in a positive light by voters. Now, it's worth saying that we played a clip later um, when he's talking, and we'll get onto it, I'm sure, or at least on the, on the substance, when he's talking about, you know, um, Labour going back to square one. And voters quite like Rishi Sunak's style there. Yeah, no, because of his to, in fact, we've got that clip next, James. So, so this Brilliant. all, all like comes across, you know, all very bad. And so uh, as the, the group was unfolding, we were sort of sitting there thinking, well, this idea of the Tories running a presidential campaign where it's all Rishi Sunak and it's all him out and about, it's a terrible idea. They ought to lock him up. He's so unpopular. But then you played them a quick clip of him uh, speaking and uh, the reaction sort of turned on a sixpence. Let's take a listen to that. Now, the choice facing our country at that election <coughs> is do we stick with the plan that is starting to deliver the long-term change that our country needs or do we go back to square one? To me, he was inspiring then. He, he was certainly getting me thinking, yes, yes, come on, yeah, that's what we want. He had the enthusiasm to make you believe what he's saying. I you thought know, that you, was staged. Yeah, that, you know, you're looking at their body language and there was mm. such a lack. Although he was coming across as passionate, the people around mm. him didn't believe a word he was saying. I was getting dizzy watching him spin around. Confident, powerful. He was a good deliverer. Yeah, he will look very confident, but uh, he uses his hands a lot. <laughs> I love, uh, it's a reminder of what voters actually focus on. So, um, James, in terms of what the Tories would do with this, you know, assuming that if they're doing focus groups, they might well be hearing similar things. Maybe maybe it's having done some of those clips and getting your reaction might be encouraging them to send Rishi Sunak. I thought, I ended up thinking, I don't know what I would do with Rishi Sunak now. They think he's out of touch rich, uh, hopeless, and yet then they quite like him when they see him being a bit confident, albeit waving his hands around too much. 
I think it's a style thing. I think uh, I, I think that um, when they see him sort of you know bouncing around these events and laughing and cracking jokes and and you know playing bowls or whatever, I think they reco- recoil. Um, but when they see him serious like that, getting a serious point across on something they uh, uh, agree with, um, then then the picture changes. So uh, you know, Sunak doesn't sort of need locking away. But perhaps he needs a ban on smiling, Matt. Perhaps that's what I'd do if I were number 10. Uh, you know, he needs to be levelling these serious points. That's what that's the only sort of, you know, iota of, of, of faith they might have in him, that he can, he's he sort of, you know, vaguely got a plan and, and might be a bit more serious than Starmer. Um, so ban the smiling, uh, get the uh, get the the, the, um, the the plan out there. Um, uh, but otherwise, um, uh, it's uh, you know difficult to see uh, Rishi Sunak winning over many hearts and minds with his visits. And remember, these in terms of you know the, if you placed all the voters along the spectrum, you know these are the people who voted Conservative last time. Some of them might have done it a few times. Um, so in you know in terms of peeling them back, they should be the ones closest. You know, hardcore Labour voters probably are going to switch back, but they they should be the ones uh, there. We've just had a message in from Peter. Says the focus group. That's the problem with UK politics. The public are just so thick and inarticulate. I don't know if Peter's being sarcastic or not. I sort of hope he is, because these are just normal people who are going to vote in the next election. Uh, so James Johnson from JL Partners, let's turn our attention then to uh, Keir Starmer. What did the group think about Keir Starmer? Remember, these are people who voted Conservative in 2019. They now say they're backing Labour. That's why they were recruited. Uh, here's what they had to say, summing up the Labour leader in a word. Boring. I've just put opposition. That's all I know of him, really. Bit weak. Better than Sunak. I have no opinion of him because I don't know him that much. He's a bit spineless sometimes. Oh, I am too. I don't know him very well. Uh, I mean, it's amazing that we've still got I don't know him very well uh, after nearly, what, four years in the job. Um, and then you asked them what it was about Keir Starmer that might put them off. I don't know what he stands for. Um, and when I listen to him, I do switch off because I find it mundane and boring. It's just... A monotone of saying what the other people have done wrong, not what they're going to do to, to make it better. Now, he moves the goalposts daily um, on what he stands for. I don't think he's the man to run the country. However, I do think he's number two. Um, it could be Angela Rayner. She seems to have some real steel and, and guts about her. He has no X factor. He doesn't seem challenging. And he doesn't seem to have enough um, presence. Uh, James, it's interesting that, uh, well, there's quite a lot to unpack there. The, the mention of Angela Rayner, we've had that a couple of times in focus. But sort of people have, uh, have picked that up. Um, remember, you just need to remind yourself that these are people who said they're going to vote Labour, and yet they're so down on Keir Starmer. Yeah, they're, they're voting Labour um, despite Keir Starmer, not because of him. Um, they're infuriated with the Conservatives' record. Um, and they are um, uh, at least warm about the Labour brand. But Keir Starmer is 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 not an obstacle because they're still voting Labour for now. Um, but uh, he's someone that you sort of, you know, they need to hold their nose a bit when it comes to voting for them. And I think the reason why, Matt, and it, it's, it's links into the Angela Rayner comment there, is that um, if there's a number one ingredient that voters are looking for in, 2020, in the 2020s, in 2024, it's strength. It's this sense of they'll say it how it is. They'll get things done. 
Um, I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm, I'm in Iowa this week and I've been doing interviews here ahead of the caucus on Monday. And it's exactly the same when you talk to voters about Trump. The reason they like Trump uh, uh, more than Ron DeSantis and they, they, is because of strength. They say he's not a typical politician. He'll say it how it is. He'll get things done. And that's how they feel about Angela Rayner um, and how they don't feel about Keir Starmer. So uh, that's that's the problem, yeah, yeah. really. Um, if Starmer Starmer is is an obst- is, is a you know a reason not to vote for Labour rather than a reason to vote for it, but maybe when they see him out and about speaking, like the Rishi Sunak, all the, they weren't big fans of Rishi Sunak, but then when they saw the clip of him speaking, they came round. So so maybe this will happen when you play them a clip of Keir Starmer. I will say, you're right to be anti-Westminster, right to be angry about what politics has become. But hold on to the flickering hope in your heart that things can be better. There's an old programme, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It reminds mm-hmm. me of Marvin the Paranoid Android. He's Marvin. just so monotone. He's so monotone. Uh, it's just not inspiring at all. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. It's, uh, he needed a bit more fire in his belly when he was speaking. Mm. Oh, he switched he, off. He wasn't convincing. He, when he said reject Westminster, doesn't he work and get paid by Westminster too? <laughs> that last point is particularly... Well, I, I agreed with it, so I'm going to be... Um, uh, this idea of him trying to cast himself as, as being outside Westminster is always struck me as a bit odd, James. But it's interesting, isn't it? They, they, they were so down on Rishi Sunak, and they came round when they heard him speaking. They were uh, a bit down on Keir Starmer, and this sort of made things worse when they listened to the clip of him. Yeah, to- totally, and uh, it-, it sums up what we've heard in one of our most, you know, one of our other Times Radio focus groups, Matt, where somebody said, um, "I just don't like his face," um, and uh, it's unfortunate for Keir Starmer, but that's quite a hard thing to to change. Look, maybe when they tune in, come a general election, Starmer can refresh his image a little bit, um, mix things up. But uh, at the moment, it's hard to see how that how that changes. It's worth saying though, he's not offensive to them. Yeah, um, you know, he's, they're not recoiling like they did with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, they just don't much like him, but they're not they're not so horrified they won't vote Labour. Exactly. They are willing to hold their nose rather than uh rather than be completely put off. So they don't like Richard Sunak. They're pretty unenthusiastic about Keir Starmer. When forced to make a choice, who would these voters prefer? Who do they think would make the better Prime Minister? Starmer out the two. Um I think Sunak's had a chance and quite frankly in fourteen months he's taken the country backwards. Uh but only just, it's it's almost saying, you know, who's the best-looking guy in the Burns unit? Neither really, you know. I mean, there's, uh, there's a quote in the um, film, Matter and Commander, and I, I think it's just uh, the better of the two weebles. Keir is slightly better. It would be easy to say neither. I, I think Rishi Sunak's had his chance, and I, I wouldn't like to see him there in the future, but I don't think Keir Starmer is the answer. If you were saying parties, Labour Party, but just on Prime Minister alone, I don't know. I don't know what damage it's going to do to have somebody that hasn't got their own agenda and all they want to do is bounce off somebody else. Well, I would go Kia for, purely for the fact of I wouldn't want Rishi. James, a lot there. The, 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 the best-looking guy in the Burns Union is one of the most brutal things I've, I've heard in one of these groups. Somebody that really put their finger on it there, though, saying that if it was just Keir on his own and not Labour, really drawing that distinction, that there's voting Labour despite him, not because of him. 
Yeah, and look, we warned at the start of this focus group is not representative. Um, but uh, so we need to have a you know, take some of this with a pinch of salt. Um, switchers tend to be more positive about Starmer than, than the population overall. But we've heard it enough times now, swing based focus groups know that there is a there is clearly um, some concern here. And and as we said, these clips and these these moments with these politicians, this exposure can shift the dial with people. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely, there is that there is that um, frustration there. Plan kept coming up there. What does he stand for? That's Labour's biggest weakness at the moment. Um, and we've heard a few briefings from Labour uh, HQ saying, you know, well, we'll set that out later. We don't need to set it out now. I think every time Keir Starmer does a speech now, I think it is worth considering on the comments said in this focus group and others. Um, if he's not setting out detail and a clear, relatable plan, um, then that is a real problem for Keir Starmer because, quite frankly, voters aren't letting, aren't ready to wait anymore. They want the detail from him now, and they're starting to make up his make up their minds that perhaps the reason he's not saying any is because he doesn't have any. And is it because actually Labour's here? We've got loads of policy. We say loads of stuff, but the problem is it's all wrapped up in what five missions. He's on a missions tour, and actually, you need maybe it's about you know encapsulating that being a man with a plan. You know, David Cameron's long term economic plan, Boris Johnson's get Brexit. You know, boiling things down. You know, uh, boiling things down a bit. Uh, the the Tony Blair's far you know pledge card and all of that, uh, boiling things down into some clear specifics and and talking about having a plan. So it might just be he doesn't he doesn't need any more policies. Just needs to present them slightly differently. Um, uh, just to round off on the focus group, then James, um, you you asked about some other politicians. Uh, the, these focus groups obviously people are in different parts of the country, so it's all all done on Zoom, uh, and you put up a picture of the leader of Reform UK, Richard Tice. Does anyone know who he is? Do you not know them? No. 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 He looks like a bit of a film star. Say, so I thought he was someone out of uh, Home and Away or Neighbours. Um, so no, I think is the answer. They don't know who he is. They think he's from uh, Home and Away or Neighbours. Uh, and then you send them a picture of someone else, the honorary president of Reform UK. Do they know who that is? I didn't take him seriously. Until watching him on I'm a Celebrity. And what I mean by that is I didn't actually know what he did because of how he came across on Good Morning Britain or whatever else, you know, dressed in a Union Jack hat and coat. He seemed like he just wanted to make a mockery of things. But actually, I think he now challenges politics to try to make it better. He challenges yeah. the issues that the government are falling short on. He challenges the issues that Labour and Keir Starmer are falling short on. Um, uh, I, I admire the fact that he has got that bit of bolshiness about him. I think if he was to stand, there are a, a good percentage of the population that would vote for him. Nigel's come across on the telly and he becomes he's made himself relatable again by being at that face. Uh, so that was, of course, uh, their views on Nigel Farage. Astonishing, James, they thought his appearance on... They, they'd gone up in his estimations as a more serious politician by appearing on I'm a Celebrity. Yeah, I think that helped with his relatability. I think they knew that he was plain speaking, but they didn't know that he was potentially... Uh, uh, or they didn't feel like he was in touch with them. I'm a Celebrity seems to have changed that. That's reflected in the polling as well. This is the this is the issue that's that's got most people frustrated on Twitter, Matt. People saying, you know, how could you possibly argue that, you know, Farage is is popular with these voters? The polling doesn't bear it out. Well, in fact, polling does bear it out. We asked twenty nineteen Conservative voters, 
um, what they thought about Nigel Farage after he came out of the jungle. Um, and uh, he's actually got a net approval rating among that group of plus 20. So 48% of people uh, who are Conservative 2019 voters said they had a positive view of him. Now, these are Conservative 2019 voters. Yes, they've switched to Labour, um, but it's not inconceivable um, that uh, a, a good portion of these you would expect, uh, based on the polling, to have positive views of Farage. So, um, you know, firstly, we're not trying to say it's representative, but secondly, it may well be. Um, so this is something really important because Farage is is on the sidelines. If he comes in, you can see with this group alone, um, he could cause some real damage. Because uh, the one thing that Keir Starmer and Labour want to do this year is get back their relationship, you know, make up and uh, tie the knot again um, with the voters who left them in 2019. If they lose that connection, they go off to another party, then they're going to be harder to get off in the long, get, get back in the long term. And indeed, if Rishi Sunak loses votes to, to, to Reform UK, uh, then it really is all over for him. So we've got, uh, like you said, it's it, the the video, the Nigel Farage video has gone wild with lots of people saying uh, um, <laughs> that uh, this is all nonsense. You need to look at the polling first. If you look at the polling, Nigel Farage is really unpopular. Uh, Dave says, mate, you've had focus groups on for years being pro-Tory against Labour. Uh, use a Tory pulse to promote your agenda when discussing focus groups. Although, uh, I mean, if you've, if you've listened to any of our focus groups, do you think they're pro-Tory? Um, I think there's something wrong with your ears. Uh, um, it's just This is just what, how people talk about politics. It's really, really bad for Rishi Sunak in a way it was at this time last year. But the general sense with, uh, with Keir Starmer, they, they think he's uh, a bit underwhelming, they don't know much about him, and they don't warm to him, and they're not very enthusiastic about him. That's been, that's been a recurring theme for certainly the last two or three years. Um, James, just finally then, your advice to Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Rishi Sunak, stop smiling. Uh, keep keep it serious. Um, stress your plan versus not versus your opponent not having a plan. Uh, maybe prep for that uh, California retirement. Um, Keir Starmer, uh, he's got to put detail on the bones, and he's not only got to put detail on the bones, but he's got to make it relatable to voters. Um, he's got to make it, you know, Labour Tony Blair style pledge card. Um, five things, perhaps. Uh, relatable, real things, not broad, you know, wishy-washy uh, statements, missions, um, but five things that are going to change people's lives in after two years of a Labour government. No, I think that's right. Those, you know, not, you know, a better, more opportunity for everyone. You want, you know, we'll put up this by that much or we'll give these people that thing. Uh, so you can read really understand. James, it's always fascinating. Uh, best of luck in Iowa. Uh, what's going to happen in Iowa while we've got you and your, your American experience? It's, it's very difficult, but it looks like we're going to have a, uh, a pretty hefty uh, win win for Trump. Some of the voters I've been speaking to, uh, he's he's the incumbent to them. Um, they think they think he's he's already he's already the he's already the nominee for them really, and they're going to go out and vote for him. Matt, I spoke to a I spoke to a nudist yesterday. Um, it's a bit so cold for that, isn't it, in Iowa? Uh, you'd think so. Uh, he, he was uh, 69 years old, um, uh, practicing nudist, and um, he is going to go out and caucus for Trump. I hope so, in clothes. If you found that interesting, you can search for Times Radio Focus Group for all of our previous uh, focus groups with voters that date back all the way to June 2020, and it's been quite the ride. And we'll have another one of those at the same time next month. Don't forget to get in touch. You can email matt at times.radio or post a review about my face wherever you're listening to this. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. <laughs> 